Hello, hello. Hope everyone's having an awesome day. Today, we are going to talk about Christians in politics. I've been hearing a lot of hogwash for the past few years of my life that Christians don't need to be involved in politics at all or any kind of civic life. Well, I have something to say about that. So first, we are going to set this up. We are going to set up what the Bible has to say about governments, what the Bible has to say about politics, kind of. And from that, we can deduce what our role should look like and what our view of justice in government should look like as Christians. Uh, I remember in the 2016 election, we had the choice between two candidates that at the time we didn't really think that they reflected Christian values, Christ-like values. We had Hillary Clinton and we said, okay, well, she's a crook. Let's look at her career, her political career, the things that she's been involved with, particularly with her husband, Bill. And we can say, okay, this is a career politician that we really don't want to get behind, not to mention all of her terrible policies. We don't want four more years of a highly progressive president who has such a corrupt background. Just can't bring myself to do that, especially as someone who's pro-life. There's no way that I would vote for anyone who is pro-choice, but particularly not Hillary Clinton. I'm not really talking about myself. I'm just talking about what a lot of Christians were thinking at the time. And then we looked at Donald Trump. The infamous Access Hollywood tape came out. And we thought, okay, well, this guy doesn't seem Christ-like. He said a lot of things about women and a lot of things in general that I don't agree with. He doesn't really seem to have the fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't seem to be a Christian. He's probably got some sketchy business dealings. What the heck do we do? And so instead of reasoning through that, instead of trying to decide, okay, what is the best option that I can take as a Christian, as a responsible citizen, you had some Christians, particularly young Christians, I heard say, it doesn't matter. None of this matters. Jesus is coming back. This is not, you know, this is a different kingdom. This is uh, not eternal. This is temporal. I don't need to worry about that. I'm just going to worry what's going on in the realm of Christianity, in the realm of the church, in the realm of theology. I don't really care what happens in this election. And so I'm just not going to get involved with it. Uh, Well, let me tell you, that, in my opinion, is an excuse for apathy. That is typically, not always, some people really have a principled stance on not being involved in politics, but as far as the millennial generation goes, as far as a lot of the hipsters that you're hearing say that, that's typically an excuse for ignorance, an excuse for not really doing anything about what's going on in the world because you don't want to learn and you don't want to have put any effort into all of this. So that has been my experience. Uh, politics, civic life, the government, all of it matters. It all matters. In the words of Abraham Cooper, don't really know how to say that, uh, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And man, is that so true? The Bible reflects this as well. Remember, God created the world and everything in it. Listen to how holistic God's control of the universe is in Daniel 2.21. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Proverbs 8.15. By me, kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern and nobles, all who rule on earth. So God sets up government. It is a necessary tool for public good. Romans 13, 1. 
Every person is to be uh, in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. A good government is to enact justice. Uh, It is to protect its citizens from exploitation. It is to be free from bias. God is a fair judge who cares about justice, who cares about exploitation, who cares about the oppressed. We see that that throughout the Bible. Uh, Leviticus 19.15 says, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. So this is justice that is based on truth. This is judgment that is based on righteousness, not based on someone's station, not based on someone's socioeconomic status, but on what is true and what is not, on who is guilty based on evidence and who is not. Typically, when we hear that, what stands out to a lot of people is that we're not supposed to favor the rich, that we're not supposed to favor those who are in power, which is absolutely true. But we're also, the Bible says, not to favor the poor. We're not to show any kind of favoritism, whether someone is lowly or whether someone is great, whether someone is high up. So this is based on truth. So knowing that God set up the government, that he cares about righteousness and justice, uh, it makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever to say that Christians are supposed to be separate from that. That is to say that God exists in some realm over here. The world exists in some realm over here. I don't believe that that's true. God is sovereign over all of it. He works through all of it. It makes no sense to say that Christians should not at all be involved in politics. People say politics is dark or the government is corrupt. Yes, that's true. That's precisely why we need Christians in it. Uh, The Bible says that Christians are to be salt and light. And so that means that we preserve and we clarify, we add flavor and we illuminate wisdom. The work of the Christian is necessary in civic life. It's necessary to justice. Uh, Christians are the ones who are defending religious liberty. Christians are the ones pushing for legislation to protect the unborn, to keep assisted suicide illegal. Christians protect the dignity of life. Christians should be pushing for justice for the exploited, uh, for the oppressed to be fairly treated. Now, here's my side note. It's going to be a kind of long side note because I think it's important. But first, before we get into that, I want to talk to you about ExpressVPN. So when you think about cybercrime, you probably think it's something that's never going to happen to you. Maybe you think, okay, this could happen to someone else, but it's just not going to happen to me. Or maybe it's something that you've just heard about in movies. Uh, You might think that no one wants your data, that hackers can't get your credit card number, or they can't get your passwords. But you would be wrong. Uh, Stealing data from unsuspecting people on public Wi-Fi is actually one of the easiest and the cheapest ways that hackers make money. So that means when you leave your uh, internet connection unencrypted, you might as well be like writing your passwords and your credit card numbers on a huge billboard for the rest of the world to see. So that is why you need ExpressVPN. I'll tell you what exactly ExpressVPN does. It secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. It has easy to use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer or your phone or your tablet. Uh, Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes one click. That means it's really easy, nice for technologically challenged people like me. Uh, Using ExpressVPN, uh, you can surf uh, safely on public Wi-Fi. You won't have to worry about anything. You won't have to worry about any anyone snooping on you. And this is all for less than $7 a month, less than $7 a month. 
you can get ExpressVPN protection. It's rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar, and it comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. That is like a really good deal. Uh, so you can protect your online activity and find out how you can get three months for free at expressvpn.com slash Allie. That is expressvpn.com slash Allie, A-L-L-I-E for three months free with a one-year package. So visit expressvpn.com slash Allie to learn more. This is my side note. We are not talking about social justice uh, as it is defined today. I say, quote, social justice. Social justice, as we have discussed many, many times on this podcast, is the effort toward equal outcomes through the vehicle of big government. It is about suppressing the privileged and lifting up the unprivileged by favoring the unprivileged, which we know the Bible speaks against. And again, I'm using quotes around privileged and unprivileged because who is privileged and who is not is based on these arbitrary standards that is dictated by intersectionality, which says that all white people, for example, are privileged, but all black people are not privileged when that's not even true. Uh, So that is what social justice today is based on. Uh, It favors the quote unprivileged uh, in taxation and court, et cetera. Examples of this, examples of this kind of equal outcome social justice or the effort towards equal outcome social justice based on intersectionality, which of course is uh, the group identity of someone based on their religion or skin color and you allocate oppression points based on that. If that is all confusing to you, it's because you're a logically thinking person and it should be confusing to you, but you can go back and listen to previous episodes. So here's some example of that kind of thwarting of justice, which is now known as social justice. Uh, the Dallas district attorney, uh, there was a, a news story a few months ago saying that he was no longer going to prosecute people who stole, 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 what? Stole items uh, that were less than $750. So if you stole something less than $750 and you said it was truly for the economic benefit of your family, you needed that thing, uh, he wasn't going to prosecute for uh, you for that. That is an effort to, quote, uplift the poor or uplift the more marginalized by no longer prosecuting crimes. Um, Affirmative action is another example of this. You uh, don't include some people that are qualified because of their skin color. You include and accept people who are not as qualified maybe because of their skin color. Uh, California forcing all public companies to put women on the boards of their companies. Uh, The whole Kavanaugh thing was social justice. We had to believe all women simply because she was a woman. The whole Covington scandal We had to believe Nathan Phillips because he was a Native American. We had to call the pro-life white teenagers who were Catholic. uh, We had to call them bigots because of the color of their skin and their political association. The Jesse Smollett thing, the fact that he got off, that is an effort to, uh, to make equal outcomes through this vehicle of social justice that is dictated by intersectionality, which is not based on truth. That is not justice. That is not fair. That is not showing impartiality. That is showing bias towards those who you think are oppressed, simply based on some kind of group identity, not based on individual cases. That is preferential treatment of people that we assume have been uh, oppressed and thus can't excel on their own, can't get by on their own. They can't do the right thing. And so uh, the powers that be have to help them and oppress the other people who have been able to do it on their own. Uh, It's done at the expense of others. That is not how Leviticus describes justice. That is not God's justice because it is not based on truth. That is not based... um, 
on any kind of reality. The same thing with reparations doesn't make any sense. It's based on a random calculation of who is more oppressed than the other. Uh, that is what Thomas Sowell calls cosmic justice. If you have not read the book, uh, Quest for Cosmic Justice, I recommend that you do. So Christians do not strive for equal outcomes because equal outcomes are impossible. We strive for equal opportunity equal treatment in the eyes of the law, realizing that people are still going to make their own choices that may not lead to the same outcomes as someone else. That's just the reality of life. Uh, earth is is not heaven. Things are going to be different here. Even though Jesus says, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The fact of the matter is we live in a fallen world. Equal outcomes are impossible. Socialists don't want you to believe that. They want you to believe that fairness is all outcomes are the same. Everyone has to be forced into the same level of mediocrity. That's not true. So Christians are called to real justice, which is justice based on truth. So an example is William Wilberforce through civic engagement. Uh, Wilberforce, uh, Wilberforce brought forth global change in the flourishing of an entire people group by bringing an end to slavery. He did that through civic engagement. Uh, now, Romans 13 says that Christians are to submit to governing authorities. And there has been an argument that has been made that that means that we're never supposed to rebel, that we're never supposed to push back, that we're just supposed to be quiet. And we, if we live in a tyrannical government, then we're just supposed to subside in that. But, I mean, you have some very real questions to ask about Christian figures in history that we regard as heroes. So are you saying that Wilberforce was disobeying God, that he was disobeying God's word by trying to legally end slavery? Was Corrie Boom disobeying God by hiding Jews in her house during the Holocaust? Was Bonhoeffer disobeying God uh, by resisting the Nazis? Are missionaries in other countries who are prohibited by law from sharing the gospel, are they disobeying God by sharing the gospel? Of course not. Of course not. So we look at Romans 13.1 in light of the rest of scripture that says that we are supposed to submit to governing authorities. So we look at Daniel in the Bible who uh, disobeyed authorities when he prayed, despite the governmental ordinance not to pray. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego disobeyed authorities uh, when they refused to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar and were thrown into a furnace. Jesus himself disobeyed earthly authorities by insisting that he was God to the point of crucifixion. Uh, when Peter was arrested in Acts 5 and he stood before the council, the high priest said, why do you keep preaching in Jerusalem when we've told you not to? And Peter responds by saying, we must obey God rather than men. So how do we reconcile these two things? How do we reconcile uh, Romans 13:1 that says that we are supposed to submit to earthly authorities with all of this? Uh, we reconcile this by saying, okay, in all of these instances of God-ordained civic disobedience, what were these people doing? They were obeying God. So obedience to God is more important and is higher than obedience to any institution. That is why I don't believe, as some have asserted, as some very uh, theologically sound uh, people have asserted that the American Revolution, originally called the Presbyterian Rebellion, was unbiblical. Some people say that it was. I, I do not agree with that. They were obeying God rather than man by fleeing the oppression of tyranny. And this was a religiously motivated rebellion. Uh, so I say all of this to say that Christians do have a responsibility to engage civically, to engage the government, to change laws that are oppressive to change laws that are unjust. We do play a role in that. When we are bringing God's kingdom on earth, when we are fighting against things like slavery or like the Holocaust or like abortion or assisted suicide, all of these things that denigrate uh, 
human dignity, that is something we are called to do. Of course, we are supposed to be involved in that. And of course, that does mean voting. That doesn't mean that every single candidate that we vote for is going to be perfectly Christ-like, but we look at the issues, we look at the values, and we say, okay, what is truly most just? And not just based on intersectionality, not just based on skin color, but what is just based on truth? What stands up for the dignity of the individual? And for me, conservatism fits right into that. Now, I'm not trying to make the argument that you have to be a Republican to be a Christian. I am not trying to make the argument that God is a Republican. I'm not trying to make the argument that there are biblical supports uh, or that the Bible only supports being a Republican. I'm not saying that. It is Um, it can be very nonpartisan. You could find yourself in the middle on a lot of issues if you are following the biblical guidance of justice rather than on one side or the other. But when I look at the values of conservatism, when I look at the values of the Constitution, the liberties that they protect, um, and the dignity that it protects by acknowledging that our rights come from God rather than from man, uh, when I look at conservatism and the values that conservatism stand up or the values that conservatism stands for, uh, then I find a much closer alignment. I might, I find much closer alignment to God's word than I do of big governments and tyranny and socialism. Uh, and as far as the dignity of life goes. Now, that doesn't mean that I agree with everything Republicans do. That doesn't mean that I agree with all border policy, for example. That doesn't mean that I agree with all Republican politicians by any means. I do think that we can take a nuanced look at every politician, that we can see what they stand up for. But I have found that free societies in which things like freedom of speech, uh, freedom of religious expression, and the constitutional values that our founding fathers ingeniously put into writing, that People thrive. People of all faiths thrive in a society like that, not in a socialist society. I mean, all you have to do is look at other countries who have tried socialism and failed. But I will be dedicating an entire podcast episode to that particular subject, so I won't get into it. Now, the bottom line is for this episode is that, yes, Christians should be involved in the government. We should be involved in civic life. Yes, Jesus is coming back. Yes, this stuff is temporary. Yes, this stuff is fleeting. But it's also important because it affects people's lives. It affects people's livelihoods. It affects uh, people's medical care. It affects people's insurance. It affects people's uh, taxes that they pay. It affects everything. And so the questions that you have to start asking yourself are going to be, again, questions that we ask in a future episode. Um, But what system actually frees people to be able to provide for themselves? Uh, Because as Christians, we also believe in something called the dignity of work. We believe or we know from the Bible that work existed before the fall, that it was good. So humans run on work. We are supposed to be productive. We are supposed to actually uh, sow something and then reap it. We're not supposed to just lay around. The Bible has a lot to say about the evils of laziness. And so we ask ourselves not, okay, what's a society in which everyone is taken care of and no one actually has to work for what they have, but what is a society that allows people to be productive so they can take care of themselves, they can take care of their families, they can take care of the people around them? That's a question that I think that we have to ask ourselves as Christians while also having some kind of compassionate safety net, I believe, for the people who really do fall on hard times and they can't uh, they can't provide for themselves at all and they need some kind of help. I think that there is a place for conversation about that, whether you're on the right or the left. And so those are the conversations that you have to ask yourself and you also have to get educated. 
uh, in the issues, always looking at everything through the lens of scripture. But one of our responsibilities as Christians and people who care about justice and God's version of justice is to know the facts and to know the truth and to not just know a narrative on the right or the left. That's going to take a little bit of effort. I always say it's much easier to just be an apathetic progressive than it is to be an apathetic conservative because all you have to do to be a progressive is to listen to what celebrities tell you and to scroll through your Facebook or Instagram feed or to see uh, what pops up on Snapchat or what pops up on the skim. And you're going to have a progressive uh, leaning viewpoint of everything because it's hard to find the facts behind the leftist narrative in the mainstream. It just is. It's not blatantly out there. And so you have to listen to podcasts. You have to, um, you have to look at the Wall Street Journal, you have to look at multiple outlets in order to get a holistic story. If you just read the New York Times, that could be good. You might get a perspective in it. You might be enlightened in some way. I read the New York Times. I read the Washington Post. But it's important to dig a little bit and to ask yourself questions and to pay attention to language as well, the way that they describe people, the way that they describe events, the way that they cast a certain people in certain lights. Why did they use that adjective? Why did they use that verb here? Is there anything missing in this part of the story because it just sounds too crazy? I'm not saying all reporting is biased or all reporting is bad, but it is incumbent upon you to make sure that you have the responsibility to know what's true and to know what's not true. For me, that means reading a lot of different outlets in order to gain a holistic perspective of a story, but it also means reading in general, not just the news, but just reading about history, uh, reading autobiographies, reading biographies, reading um different kinds of political books in order to have a background knowledge of the things that are going on, because I think that really helps us when we approach the news uh, to be able to fit things into a, a larger context. And a lot of the things, the more I read, the more I realize that things that happen today just aren't new. <laughs> They're just not uh, that different than things that might've happened 20 years ago. Our technology might be different. The questions we may be asking might be different. Society might be different in a lot of ways, but uh, it's not it's not new. A lot of the things that happen today have happened before, and I think it's important for Christians to know what's true. Of course, never prioritizing, you know, watching the news or anything like that over knowing scripture because the truths that we find in scripture are transcendent and they set up how we view what's going on today. And of course, sharing the gospel, knowing the gospel, knowing your Bible, loving your neighbor as you love yourself is always going to be far more important than being involved in politics, but those things don't have to be mutually exclusive, I don't believe. So the question is, where do Christians fit into all of this? How do Christians fit into this? There have been a lot of teachers, uh, some more liberal theologically, some more conservative theologically, that have tried to approach this question, and it's not always easy. Like I said, um, you can register, of course, under a party affiliation, I do. Uh, you can be active in politics, but you should not identify the Christian church or get confused about where your value system comes from. So you shouldn't identify the Christian church with a particular party affiliation. Now, you can, like I said, say, okay, I have these values, or this is what the Bible says, and from what the Bible says, I derive these values, and that leans me in a conservative direction. That's what I do. I think that's completely fine. But to make uh, party affiliation some kind of salvation issue or uh, a qualification for membership is not biblical. Now, you might be thinking, if you followed me for a long time, I did make the argument, and I stand by the argument, 
that it is impossible to be a far left, a far left progressive and a Christian. Now, the reason why I say that is not because it disqualifies you from salvation or because Jesus can't save you. That's of course not true. Jesus can do absolutely anything. The reason why I say that, if you actually go back and you listen to my argument, is because uh, it doesn't progressive far left progressivism. I'm not just talking about, you know, having differences on taxes or having differences on welfare, having differences on social security or the environment or things like that. I'm not just talking about those kind of differences that we can have all within the realm of biblical Christianity. I am talking about the redefinition of truth, the redefinition of uh, who Jesus was, because far leftism is going to tell you that you cannot simultaneously believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and be associated with them. You cannot believe that the Bible is inerrant and be associated with the far left. That's what the far left is going to tell you, that you can't believe in biblical marriage. You can't believe in biblical gender roles and be a part of the far left. You can't do that. And maybe that's true for a part of the far right as well. Uh, That probably is true. I think both extremes are terrible, but we see it a lot more prevalently on the far left trying to say that, oh, well, Jesus was this radical leftist, radical progressive. Well, no, he wasn't because radical progressives completely denied the inerrancy of scripture and so much in scripture that it's impossible to do both because both ask you to fully deny yourself, take up your cross and follow them. And they're going in two different directions. So I think that it's not just far leftism, it's really any ideology that tells you to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow it, and it is going in a different direction than where Jesus is going. You can't do both. You can't serve God and money, the Bible says. You can't serve two masters. You can't have two gods. So it's not just far leftism, it's anything that demands you uh, to compromise something for uh, the sake of following that thing rather than the Bible. Uh, rather than God's word, rather than Jesus. So that is true of really any ideology that demands full purity from you in a way that is different than what Christ is demanding from you, if that makes sense. So I say all that to say that still God is not partisan, that still God doesn't belong to a political party, that still the Bible doesn't say that you have to be a capitalist, that you have to be a conservative. Do I believe that the Bible has foundations for those things? Of course I do. And we'll talk about that in the future, but it is not a a matter of salvation. We can have these kinds of disagreements, honestly, within biblical Christianity. And I think it's important to have these kinds of disagreements. Um, A lot of political positions are not matters of explicit biblical command, but are deduced from the Bible and are also part of practical wisdom. Like what experiences have people had with this particular policy? That would be capitalism versus socialism. What kind of results uh, does this does this produce? Uh, and then we can kind of look at that and say, okay, well, that tyranny didn't lead out, didn't, didn't turn out very well, but this freedom did, whatever it is. And so we have to be thoughtful Christians. We are all trying to obey God's call, and there are going to be people, genuine Christians, on the other side of the aisle than you. And I think it's important for us to recognize that, that there are Christians who are Democrats that who have somehow, I think wrongly, justified abortion. They've justified certain things in their minds. That doesn't mean that they're not saved. It means they're wrong. doesn't mean they're not saved. There are going to be Christians who disagree with you if you are a Democrat 
on the Republican side that doesn't take away their Christian card. We might have misunderstandings that are genuine, and we might have different perspectives that are genuine. Now, there are some things that when we get down to it, kind of go into what you actually think of the gospel and can point more towards the state of our heart and more towards a salvation conversation. But there are plenty of things that we might just not know about each other that... um doesn't necessarily mean that someone is not a part of the body of Christ. And that's why it's important for us to approach our brothers and sisters in Christ as exactly that, as brothers and sisters in Christ with whom we disagree and have these kinds of conversations. Now, what you're going to find is that that's increasingly difficult. And so we have to strive for peace with everyone, just as the Bible says. Um, now, we might be able to, the, the great thing is, is that if we see each other as brothers and sisters in Christ first, we might be able to sit down and say, okay, I disagree with you about your version of social justice or your version of racial reconciliation, whatever it is. But maybe, maybe it's not so much that we disagree. Maybe we just see things differently. Maybe you have different facts than I do. Maybe you are coming from a completely different perspective, or maybe we're really saying the same thing, but we think that we're saying different things. That's happened to me. I've also had different ideas of justice than I do now. And But the important thing is, for two Christians who disagree on something, is to go back to God's word. If one of you is not willing to go back to God's word as your ultimate command and your ultimate authority, then the conversation truly is lost. If one of you is just pulling things out of the air and your feelings and liberation theology, whatever it is, or one of you is basing all of his uh, views about justice on some kind of secular conservative philosopher, but it doesn't align with the Bible, well, then you don't really have a basis for a conversation. But if two Christians can come together and they can look at the word of God and in light of all of scripture, in light of the context of the verse, and honestly say, here's what the Bible says, here's why I believe what I believe, Talk to me about why you believe what you believe. If two Christians can do that, I think that's beautifully productive. We can still love each other. We can still disagree on that. Now, we can be sad if we feel like the other person doesn't take the authority of Scripture seriously, and if they are putting their feelings before what the Word of God actually says, no matter what side of the aisle that we're on, but we can still love one another. There are people that I politically disagree with. There are people in my life that I theologically disagree with who I love very much, and uh, we've talked about these things. We don't talk about them every day. We don't talk about them every you know chance we get, but we've talked about these things and we just say, you know what? Your friendship with me is bigger than that. And I know who you are and I know your heart. And the people I know that I disagree with politically and theologically are Bible-believing, wonderful Christians. I happen to think they're wrong on particular subjects. They happen to think I'm wrong on particular subjects. And that's okay. That's okay. That is part of what we're called to as Christians. So yes, we engage public life. Yes, we engage areas of justice to fight for true justice that is based on truth and on the Bible. And yes, we engage with one another. And we have these kind of productive conversations and we approach them with humility. We approach them with honesty and we use God's word as the basis. As long as he is our supreme authority and all of that, then we're good then we can disagree as long as we agree on the gospel, we agree on the supremacy of Christ, which like I said, is very impossible to do if something else, if some other kind of ideology is supreme in your life. Uh, you can't serve two masters. But if we agree on the supremacy and the centrality of Jesus Christ and the inerrancy of his word, we can have all kinds of wonderful disagreements as far as politics go. And even theologically, we can have wonderful disagreements that don't have to do with salvation. If we agree on the core tenets of Christianity, um, 
So it's okay to disagree and it's okay. It's certainly okay to care about these things. In fact, I think that, like I said, uh, we should care about them. And no matter what we think politically, another thing that we can unite on is that it is our role, it is our responsibility to take care of the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized ourselves, that we have to be the hands and feet of Jesus, that we have to be the ones going out, taking care of them, that that's not the government's job. I don't care what side of the aisle that you're on. You're not going to make that argument to me that it is solely the government's job to take care of people. We have to be the ones to give of ourselves, to lay our lives down, to lay our money down, to... Uh, serve those who are hurting around us. That is our responsibility, no matter what side of the aisle that you're on, that is the role of the church. That is the role of the individual. And so we can't negate that either. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what you think. I've seen conservatives who um, don't care about charity and who don't care about the poor. And I've seen liberals who certainly don't care about the poor really as far as their own efforts go. They only care about them um, in, in word as far as policy goes. So that is also an important reminder. Uh, that wraps up this, why Christians should care about civic life, why Christians should be involved in politics. We also um, kind of broke down the Romans 13 argument that we shouldn't be involved in politics at all. I simply don't believe that. And we talked about uh, justice and what that means. I have lots and lots of episodes on that if you want to hear more about it. If you've got any questions, feel free to email me, Ali at the conservative millennial blog.com, and I will see you guys soon. 